1: You know, real estate investing can be both lucrative but also daunting. And thankfully, we've had guests on the show who have just been real and authentic and shared many tips and advice on just all aspects of real estate investing. And let's give it a listen. Our guest is Devin Elder. I'm so thankful you could be on the show. Devin. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting. Why syndication over some other type of real estate business like you've done? Sure. Great question. So there's Call it four basic business models that I
0: participate in. Three on the single family side, you can wholesale a deal, and we still do that. We do a lot of that just because I have a great team. I built that up over years and now I have a great team, and so we're still doing it. Wholesale a deal where you buy it and sell it immediately to another investor. There's rental real estate where you've got cash flow coming in, there's flipping houses. Flipping, I think, is the most risky. We still do them, but there's kind of a sweet spot we've identified. We've got good crews to go do them. There's so many ways to go wrong. You know, If somebody's listening to this and they want to get into real estate, I personally think that they should not flip houses because it's just one of the more risky strategies. I love rental real estate and wholesaling deals is absolutely a job, but I've got a great team that's executing on that. So I'm not personally the one doing the door knocking and the cold calling stuff like that, but we're doing a lot of that. Those are all kind of jobs. With the exception of rental real estate, which once you set it up, it can be more that cash flow situation. But if you're looking at 300 dollars a month cash flow after you kind of put some away for repair reserves and stuff, and you're trying to replace you know, six-figure income, you're going, well, wow, it's gonna be a lot of houses. And I think inevitably people run into a ceiling on 10, 20 rentals like I did. You're going, geez, you know, 20 rentals, could you do 40? I mean, I guess you could, maybe start getting some third party management in there, but you run into some limitations, and then you've created another job for yourself. So why the syndication is because it's so big. You know, Let's say you're syndicating a 75-unit deal or 100-unit deal or 200-unit deal. It's so big that you can't possibly do it yourself. You've got to bring in team members. And so you've got different team members like a broker. You might have an analyst or somebody helping you with the analysis. You're likely going to have, a, well, I do have a third-party management company, which does a tremendous amount of work for 4% of revenue. I mean, to do HR, accounting, marketing, reconciling accounts and everything, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into that. For 4%, I think it's a great deal and a great thing to outsource. In the multifamily side, you can create that team where somebody like myself is the sponsor and asset manager. I'm the quarterback. I'm responsible for the deal and raising the money and dealing with the bank and asset managing. But I've got a is really executing a lot of the day-to-day stuff, which makes it a lot more scalable. It's just a built-in business that you can go buy into. And if you keep your occupancy up, you make it a nice asset where people want to live, it's clean and safe. And you manipulate your net operating income by raising income and lowering expenses as much as possible. You can create a lot of value in a short period of time that is just not possible in the single family world. So maybe that's a more of an involved answer. But I like syndication is my favorite model of all the things that I have done and continue to do.
1: And so now let's go back to, I really liked where you were taking the conversation a minute ago about getting started. And I really like the idea of first property being a hundred units or more and the syndication model, because you do have to have other partners. And I think while most people won't even consider a hundred unit deal because it just seems so far fetched, well, I, I could never do that. But I liked what you said about, you're not going to do it alone you're going to have other partners and other people who are experienced that are helping you in that deal. And so could you elaborate on getting started in that business to pursue that hundred unit deal? I think most of the listeners aren't going to have a successful real estate business of any kind like you did or to that scale, or you had that credibility probably going in to do the syndication model. But let's just say I've just got a few single family homes, or I've been doing a few flips or whatever. What's some steps I need to take to finding that first 100 unit deal, syndicating that deal?
0: The base of the pyramid, I guess, is education for certain. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. Fortunately, there's so many great podcasts out there. People can listen to your podcast and learn a great deal. And the reason I think podcasts are such an effective medium is because you're taking otherwise dead time. I've actually found myself reading a lot less. I've read my whole life. I've been a voracious reader, but I found myself in the last years reading a lot less because I'm busy, I'm working, or I'm doing family time or doing things I enjoy, but I do have some downtime. If I'm driving or it's the end of the day and I'm you know getting ready to go to sleep, but I can listen to a podcast for 30 minutes. Everybody's got pockets of time where they can soak up. You soak up 45 minutes a day of multifamily investing knowledge via a podcast. In six months, if you're paying attention, that's going to be a tremendous you know, amount of education. So that's the first step, understanding the nomenclature, understanding how the process works. There's paid coaching that you can get paid for, mentor, something like that. But definitely education is first. And then beyond that, I always think of it in terms of a three-step process. And I've just seen this work over and over again. The first step of being involved in multifamily is you can invest as a limited partner. You know, you can invest $50,000 in somebody else's deal, which will, depending on the deal, the returns are probably going to be pretty good. You're going to get some tax advantages, maybe some losses on your taxes, paper loss on your taxes that first year, but you don't actually have to really do anything except vet the deal and the sponsor. So step one could be passive investing in a deal. And if you're starting at zero, that's going to open your eyes to a lot of how this works. Step two would be to try to partner with an existing sponsor on the general partnership side where maybe you're raising capital or maybe you're providing some money for earnest money and things like that, where you can get, you know, if you look at a multifamily structure and there's 30% for the general partner and 70% for the limited partner, you can carve up that 30% in some different ways, depending on who's bringing what to the table. Maybe you've got a really strong balance sheet and you can be a guarantor on a non-recourse loan, which is a great way to participate. Maybe you've got a network where you think you can get educated and raise a quarter million dollars or half a million dollars for, an experienced sponsor's deal. That's a great way to participate. But that's kind of the step two. Step one would be writing a check and then getting your quarterly returns and updates and learning that way. Two would be to try to partner with an existing sponsor by providing some value. And then the third step, you can go and actually syndicate a deal. So all three of those steps, you could participate in a 100-plus unit deal and just start playing in that world. And it's just such a different world. I mean, it's all real estate, but... Talk about single family versus multifamily. It's just different. The broker relationships are different. The language is different. The financing is different. And it's not radically different. But I think even though this is hypocritical, I don't necessarily think the single family world prepares you for the multifamily world. If you're getting with the end in the mind, right? If you want to end up syndicating large deals, you start there too. I mean, with your whole education, maybe some passive investing, partnering with a proven sponsor and so forth, because stuff like acronyms are different, right? DSCR, but nobody talks about DSCR and single family, right? Debt service coverage ratio and all those things. And so I think if you want to be a multifamily,
1: focus on that, start building your network in that world, because they really are two very different worlds. Can you give us the one piece of advice that you give somebody just getting started? What's something just so important that you would tell somebody if you just had five minutes or well, in this case, maybe two minutes to talk to them and you're never going to see them again. What are you going to tell them? They're trying to get into this business.
0: It's shorter than two minutes. It is my ultimate success formula for anything in life, right? If I want to put a marketing spin title on it, the ultimate success formula for anything in life is you find somebody who's achieved the result that you want, fitness, relationships, business, whatever it is, anything in life, a defined outcome that you want, and you model them exactly. And modeling is a shortcut to anything because certainly nobody wants to reinvent the wheel. So you've got to model somebody. You've got to have a mentor or something like that. especially in this business where we're talking about large amounts of money. You're not going to go out and do this half-cocked or take a stab at it. This has got to be a serious commitment. So that's the shortcut is you model somebody that's already done it. And there's different ways to do that. There's different mentors you can find. You can pay to be part of a mentorship group. You can find somebody in your local market that you can add value to. But please, please do not try to figure this out on on your own. You model somebody that's already successful.
1: Could you give us just a couple tips on picking a good mentor?
0: Well, they'd have to have the result that you want. I think the key point there is that they've actually done it. Because I ran into this guy once, he said it in an interesting way as this old older gentleman, I ran into his office because a friend of mine worked in his office. We started chit chatting. And I told him I just bought a six unit apartment complex on the south side of town. He said, really, what street? And I said, Kelsey, he goes, 235 Kelsey. I said, yeah, he goes, Oh, yeah, I used to own that. And we started laughing just the <laughs> odds of this guy owning the property two owners ago that I just bought, you know, and I bought it for like three times what he bought it for. Right. I mean, it's crazy, but he's an older guy. And so I started picking his brain and he said something that always stuck with me. And I said, Hey, you know, I want to get in a more multifamily. And I was coming at it from like, you know, I want to be here, but I'm here. And he said, Hey man, you know, you're already in the store. You're walking around in the store. Most people out there, they got their face pressed against the glass. And I said, "Huh, yeah, that's a good way to think about it. So a lot of people have their face pressed against glass. They want to get in the store. You got to be with a mentor that's already in the store, already doing it, and already successful with it. So that's number one. Number two is that they have to want to be your mentor too. I'm not in a position in my kind of career, I think, to have like a coaching program or anything. I don't know that I ever want to do that. So I'm focused on finding deals and taking care of my current investors. I don't necessarily have a bandwidth. To have a bunch of students or whatever, but some people are—they set it up to where they are open to, you know, having mentors. Or maybe you're raising capital for a sponsor—that's valuable. If you're able to raise capital for a deal, there are sponsors that will want to partner with you and work with you and share what's going on for them. The name of the game is just creating value for that mentor. So I think criteria for a mentor is they have to be doing it and successful, and then they have to be willing to work with you in some capacity. I think those are my criteria.
1: What's the top reason real estate syndicators fail? I think it's the projections that you put in there. Because anybody makes spreadsheet
0: look good, right? I think if you don't project the right amount of vacancy, especially after takeover or like on a rough property, you're gonna have some vacancy, right? So you got to project that in there. I think not predicting an exit cap rate that's higher than prevailing cap rate is currently on stabilized properties, I think that's one of the things you want to do on your conservative underwriting. And then you got to have good partners in there. If you're using third-party management, you've got to do that. Now, syndicators failing, I don't think we see a lot of that right now because I
1: think the market has made a lot of things right. Lane, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Whitney. What's something I can do right now to improve my
2: syndication business? Realizing that you're going to be in the game a long time. Because in the syndication business, you're not really putting all your eggs in one basket. You're diversifying around. So it's just a matter of staying alive. So I think you just have to build a relation. It comes down to relationships at the end of the day. So I think a lot of people get into this zone where they're just kind of selling deals. I mean, that's a great way to kind of alienate people at the end of the day. I think if you put your investors first in your heart, the words will follow and your actions will follow.
1: Can you give us some tips and putting our investors first and kind of modeling what you just said? It's not really
2: hacks. It's uh, more of a top-down mindset. If you're going to go into this deal with your own 50 grand, then you've already made up your mind for yourself. You just have to communicate the reasons why you're doing it. And which is a difference between you selling this deal that would you have bought it on your own? Maybe, maybe not. Right. But if you believe in your heart that it's a good investment, that, the cap rate to where it's at and it's underwritten properly and it's using the right assumptions, not some crazy 5% rent increase a year, but conservatively at 1.5 and you know how to do that and you can communicate that over, then I think that's what's important. Not you trying to sell a deal. I mean, that's the worst thing. I mean, you got to be like a hunter. People like that are hunters. They go out they prey on the kill and they move on to the next one. That's like a used car salesman or a cyclopedia salesman. Nobody likes those guys. You got to be a farmer with your relationships. You have to tell people what you're doing. If they want to follow you and they trust you, they'll follow you.
1: Tell me, what's your focus right now? Are you in the syndication model right now? Or if you are, just tell us what your focus is currently.
2: Yeah, so I kind of see myself as the deal hunter-hunter. On are the days where I kind of talk to brokers and you know, I get at least 20 or 30 deals in my inbox every single day, but there are a lot of them, 9.9% of them are just junk because they're kind of non-filtered. I kind of just focus on building relationships with operators and newer ones too, but I normally just follow them for their first couple of deals. And when somebody builds up a track record and I've been following them for one time and I trust them and build a relationship with them then i'll look into investing with them at that point i've run my background checks i've asked my people who this guy is and then i pull the PLs and rent rolls and you know so basically i'm hunting the hunters out there these days
1: so you're on the capital raise side Yeah. yeah great tell us how do we know a good sponsor when we find one well, I think at first
2: you're going to go around and this kind of drives me crazy all the time, but people always solicit first, which I think is the craziest thing in the world. Okay. You're basically telling me that you're super desperate for money That in the first meeting. You have to ask me for money. What's more desperate than that. So whatever you do, don't do that. I think it's just a matter of like adding people to your Rolodex, your network, and then just things will happen. If you keep growing your business opportunities will come your way as people hear about you.
1: So some sponsor that you've partnered with or co-sponsored with, like what was it about them? I know you had the relationship, but was it a certain amount of deals that they have done or a certain amount of return? You know, deals they've
2: done, I'd say, you know, maybe about two or three is kind of the minimum threshold, I guess, in my head. Returns. I mean, everybody's doing the same returns. I mean, 80 to hundred percent, whatever the gold standard these days is, but it's all built into your assumptions. I mean, you can, can be a hundred percent year in five years, but if it's not underwritten correctly, it can go right down to a twenty percent return in five years, which is a bad deal. So it's all built in on the back end, and if you know how to analyze deals, you can kind of sniff that out and see who the real people are from the fakers. But for the most part, if people are underwriting their properties correctly, and you know you're assuming that they're all the same. It's just a matter of building your own network of limited partners and using them to help you vet people. Because once you build your network to a critical mass size, now you pretty much know everybody. And if you don't know someone, somebody you know has probably been in their previous deal or knows them. So at that point, that's why I say like someone will bring me a down and be like, I never heard of that guy. They might be great, but it's just not worth it. There's so many people doing good deals that it just doesn't make sense to go off the beaten path, really.
1: That makes sense. As far as underwriting the deal, how many deals would you say you have underwritten before you really felt confident that you knew exactly what you were looking at when somebody presented you with the numbers? In
2: 2017, I think, is when I still had this pipe dream when I wanted to be an operator of a class BNC multifamily. So I went on this crazy mission to just analyze every single thing that came across my inbox. So i probably like the first six months, I analyze at least like 60 to 80 properties and initiate a lot in the beginning. It takes you like an hour to do it, you know, putting in the spreadsheet, put all the rent rolls in there. But then you start to figure out which ones are like not even worth your time to put it in a spreadsheet and then you can kind of fudge numbers. You know, it's not perfect, but you know, you've done it well enough to know, you know, you can do it in 10, 20 minutes, especially when all your windows are up. Doing that, I probably got another 100, almost 200 done in the next year, or 18 months. But I felt like I kind of got it pretty good at 50, but I got it really good at about 150 properties. So, you know, let's just say you're doing it 20 minutes per. I mean, that's a good... 20, 30 hours just doing the same thing and you start to build the heuristics in your head. You start to see the matrix. You know what to look for at that point. That's kind of when you've got it. I mean, it's not rocket science, right? Income minus expenses.
1: What's the mistakes you see that are really common as far as underwriting? I think the biggest one is the cap rate
2: reversion thing. That's more of a gut call. So if you folks don't know what that is, you're supposed to take the prevailing cap rate, say it's like 6%. And then, you know, because we're all guessing out here, we don't know what the economy is going to be. want to be more conservative. You want to show your version cap rate 1% higher than that, especially if it's like a five-year hold. So that basically says that you're going to sell the property in a softer market. So it's just the one sell on your spreadsheet that you change, but it's got to be right. It certainly can't go the opposite, you know, from six to five and a half. That's just crazy. But you see that out there, people doing like half a percent increase which is way too little bit in my opinion. And, you know, once I see something like that from a syndication perspective, I just chuck that thing around in the trash can already.
1: Before we run out of time, tell us how you've recently improved your business.
2: Just small increments every day. You kind of lose track of it after a while. I'm pretty good at keeping notes these days because they kind of just go, you know, a lot of people, right. And it's just hard to keep track of people. But I think you got to try to figure out who are the people you want to keep in close contact. The more people, the bigger chance you get to just filter, filter all day long.
1: We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by
0: LifeBridge Capital.